today's message, if I can have the slide up well, is think big, believe big, live big. And it ties in with, with the concept we've been looking at and what we've been focusing on. Who knows what our theme is at the moment? Yell it out if you do. Seek first the kingdom. And as a part of this message, over the next few weeks, I want to look at the subject of faith. And faith is simply us trusting that God will do what he said he will do. And I say simply, but who knows, faith isn't always simple, especially when we're the ones having our faith exercised. We're the ones being renovated. And I was thinking this morning, when Jesus taught us to pray, one of the lines he said was, let your kingdom come. And we love the kingdom of heaven to come, but this phrase which Jesus also said is, seek first the kingdom. There's an onus and a responsibility on us to do the seeking. God wants to pour out his spirit, God wants to pour out his anointing, God wants to see us live according to the principles of the kingdom, but we've got to seek those things as well. Because some of those things may fly past. God might say, hey, I've got this, this awesome thing for you, but you're not seeking, and you're looking at something else, and all of a sudden, it's gone. But before we get into it all, I want to look at, um, sorry, go, go back, these two circles. Now the human eye is very sharp and they look equal in size but in fact they're not exact. So put your hand up, I need you to tell me which one you think is bigger. Who thinks the blue circle is the bigger one? Okay, we've got yeah, half a dozen. Who thinks the red one is the bigger one? Who isn't sure? Who thinks they're the same? Your hand's gone up about four times. <laughs> He's exercising his faith. <laughs> so who thinks they're the same? Sorry, I'll do that again. And I don't mind if you put your hand up. So there's a few. There's a few that have said, oh, I'm not sure. But before I said anything, what was your instinct about these two circles? Who thought they were the same size? No? Well, in fact, they're identical, except for the colour. So they're not exact, but size-wise, they're identical. <laughs> yes, says Dennis. <laughs> now, what does that show us? Show us that we can be very easily manipulated to think something that's not true. Now, when you saw these, you thought, yeah, they might be the same. And actually, from where I'm standing, the red one looks a lot bigger. But the only way to find out is to actually get a tape measure, something that is a known size, and actually measure each one. And an optical illusion <laughs> will often tell us something. It tells our brain something else. But when you actually look at it and you, you piece the pieces together and you run it via a standard that you know is accurate, you then have it cemented in your heart that they are exactly the same. 
So now that you know they're exactly the same and you look at them, what do you think? You think they're the same. Now the principle is, if you're growing up and as a child you're told something uh, over and over and over again, for example, the red circle is bigger, then you become convinced that this is truth. And if you grow up believing this and hearing it over and over and over again, you start talking like this is truth. And then you start telling others this is truth. And you might even fight for the fact that this is truth. And you then grow up, you have your own kids, and you tell your kids this is truth. And those kids grow up and tell their kids this is truth. What we've done is we've taken a lie, believed it, sold it, lived it, we've created a culture around it, and the longer we go with it, we create a tradition around it. And we see in the world today that the enemy, who is a liar, anyone convinced is a liar? Yep. If we're convinced he's a liar, why do we still believe his lies? The culture that we live in tells us the red circle is bigger. COVID will destroy you. The government doesn't believe in you. The Bible isn't true. God's word will not see you through. God will not provide every need you have. All these things that we hear around us, these lies that we hear from the enemy, we start to believe because the culture around us believes it and we want to go with the culture. How do we know that these are the same? What's the method we need to use to work out if these are the same? Test it. I said it earlier, measure it. There is a standard we can use to identify this is a lie or not. As Christians, we have a standard that we can use that says whether all the stuff we hear in the world, whether the red circle is bigger or the blue circle is bigger, we have a standard that we can use, God's word, that tells us whether that's a lie or not. Now what's really sad is that a lot of Christians have this standard that they can live by, a standard they can measure things by, and what they do is they go, well, I've got a tape measure, I could measure this, I could prove whether this is correct or not, well, I'm just going to believe what everyone else says because surely everyone else can't be wrong. And I'm not just talking about COVID and the things we see now. I'm talking about life in general, all the lies that the enemy brings before us. God doesn't want to see you healed. Your family will never be saved. God won't provide for your needs. And the things you're praying for aren't going to happen in this lifetime. He comes up with all those lies over and over and over again, but he doesn't always say, blanket, this isn't going to happen. He calls you to ask questions. What if? What if? Because when you saw these, you might have first thought they look the same, but he says they're not. So maybe they're not. So if they're not, I think that one. And we've started drifting very quickly, very easily to believe a lie rather than actually saying, well, actually, I want to measure it for myself. I want to check it out for myself. I want, to, I want to look at the things that I see in this world and say, well, what does God say about that? 
The enemy will use things like family, friends, news, TV shows, social media, and he will drip feed us bit by bit, bit by bit, bit by bit, enough things that will make us think, well, surely the Bible's wrong because everybody else says. Last week I said God's word in your mouth is as powerful as God's word in his mouth. And we said earlier, most of us put our hand up saying we believe the enemy's a liar. But do we live with God's word in our mouth as though it's as powerful as in his mouth? Because if we really believed it, we'd be actually studying God's word and say, what does your word say about my healing? What does your word say about my kids being saved? What does your word say about me finding a job? What what does your word say about this, this or this? Because that's the standard I want to live by, not the lies that I know the enemy will try and feed me. We have to come in a place where we're saying God's word is so true, where I am so convinced that God's word is more than enough that that's all I want to live by. And yet we see so many people not reading God's word, so many people not praying, so many people seeing discipleship as an option like we looked at last week. Well, I've got all this stuff in my life I have to do And there's the God stuff which I put in this box and there's all the other stuff that I've got to do, that I want to do, that I love to do. I'll put that over here. What if they were together? What if everything we did was through the direction and leading of the Holy Spirit? When we are convinced that we serve a God who is more than enough, more than able, and still on the throne, when we are convinced God's word is final, and nothing and no one else can stand against his promises, then we will begin to live life from a very different place. Amen? Amen. But we have to believe that he is the God who is more than enough. We have to believe that his word is complete. We have to believe that he is still on his throne. You know, I've never seen a scripture that says God got off his throne and went to sleep. I've never seen a scripture that says God doesn't care about you. I've never seen a scripture that says God won't see through the things that he has promised. So therefore, we need to think big, believe big, and live big. Now these things here, think big starts here. I've got to think, what does God's word say? What are the promises God speaks over me? I've got to start believing those things but then I have to start living them. The living part is the part we often struggle with. God's word says I'm healed. Cool. One day it'll happen. I hope it'll happen. Maybe I might just go to the doctor. Can I have some pills? Because nothing else is working. Anyone ever said that? And we just take the power of the word of God and we say it's not working. Are we convinced God is still on his throne? Isaiah 54, verses two and three. Enlarge the place of your tent. Let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you shall expand to the right and to the left and your descendants will inherit the nations and make the desolate cities inhabited. This verse is about enlarging and making bigger. This was a promise 
to the Israelites. And I look at this, this was our key verse a number of years ago. And I don't believe God's finished with this yet, do you? Three of us. Do you believe God is finished growing us as a church? Growth isn't numbers, it's, it's, it's health. It's hard attitude. It's all the things that God wants to do. So is God stretching you? Is God renovating you? Are you having fun yet? <laughs> For this to be a reality, we have to think big, believe big, and live big. Who'd like to have a limitless supply of money? Eh, only a few of us. If we had a limitless supply of money, what would that mean? You do what you like, buy what you like, go where you like. What was that? Lamborghinis, sure. Lamborghinis, Ducatis. We could buy what we like. But what happens when you have a limited supply of money? You have to budget. You have to manage what you have. You have to limit what you have because what you have is limited. If you have a limitless supply of water, you can water your garden as often as you like. How many people know that we're in water restrictions at the moment? What I've been really surprised is so many people have no idea. Our water supply is limited, and there's a reason for that. Apparently the water was contaminated a while ago, so while they're treating it, they're not trying to get rid of as much as they can, they can produce, so they're trying to manage what they have. The water supply is limited, so they have to ration out supplies. As humans, we also have limitations. Who is aware they have limitations on their life? All of us. But if we take our limitations and say, God, I'm giving you this, this is all I've got, this is my limited supply, and again, you look at this as tithes and offerings, you say, well, God, I'm giving you the limited bit that I have, and I'm asking you to do something with it. That's why finances is a hard thing, because our life is so locked in to money. But if we hand our limitations, just as in general, over to God, and then start living according to his plans, it's going to be an awkward thing because, well, God's plans are limitless, but I'm limited. And we often think limited, we don't think limitless. But when we hand over the things that we've got, God can do things with those. God can do some incredible things looking forward. And if we hand our limitations over to God and live according to his plans, then our limitations become the starting point rather than the conclusion of our story. What would happen? Adrian McKenna shared the story about his, his previous business, how he struggled, he wasn't able to get it uh, functioning, it didn't function as he wanted to. He could very easily have said, well, I can't do this. But he continued to press in, he continued to allow God to lead him and God then reshaped things, took what he had in, in a limited version and said, now I'm going to grow this. Now, you can, that's one story. Every single one of us probably have a testimony we can share about God taking the little we have and making something big out of it. Who's ever prayed over somebody and felt fear? You took the little you had 
and allowed God to do something with that. Who's ever prayed, felt fear, and then seen a miracle? I'm getting a couple of nods, but not as many hands going up. (laughs) But God can take the limited and make it limitless, but you have to surrender the limited to him so he can do something more with it. If we want to live a limitless life, we need to have vision, intention, and action. We need to think big, believe big, live big. You have to put action on that. Where does that vision come from? The Holy Spirit. If we aren't seeking out a a God vision for our lives, then we aren't seeing God as a big God. We aren't seeing him as a limitless God. And, And we so often do it. I think I'll do this. I think God wants to do this. God must do this because this is how I see it. What if we said, God, let me see what you see? What if we got God's vision for this community? What would that look like? What if we got God's vision for this church? What if you got God's vision for your family? If you saw what God wanted for your family, you would pray very differently than when you tell God what you want for your family. We need to start thinking big, believing big, and living big. I want everyone to say this with me. I am a person of faith. I will think big, believe big, and live big. You're gonna say that a number of times before this service is over. And I want it to get something that's deep in your heart. I am a person of faith. I will think big, I will believe big, and now comes the action, I will live big. I will step out of my comfort zone and step into what God has for me. And that's gonna be a journey and a process. It's not gonna be easy. I've had times I've done renovation on my home and sometimes I look and go, do I really wanna start this process? because I know what's going to happen, I know the mess, but when you finish, you look back and go, I'm so glad I did that. But to put action on your faith, it could get messy, but the outworking is going to be good. What does big look like for you? If God was to give you a big vision for your life, what would you like to do? How about a bit of feedback on that? If God was to give you a big vision for your life, what would you love to do? Money wasn't an option, a job wasn't a limit, you had all the freedoms in the world to do whatever, what would you love to do for God? Which is? (laughs) To sing? Yep, great. Anyone else? The fact that you're all quiet kind of makes me wonder whether you're actually saying, God, I want your vision for my life. Follow what he says. See, that's still future looking. God, I want you to tell me what you want. And that's how we need to pray. God, I want to follow what you say, so I need to get your vision. You need to start thinking big, because if God says, I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth, and you say, "Mm, can't do it. So the think big is, I could one day, maybe, but the believing is, no, ain't never gonna happen. You think there's gonna be action to that? 
What if God told Neville to go back overseas and he went, yeah, no, I haven't got the money, can't do it. How many thousands of people's lives would not have been touched if he said, I can't? Yeah. And the thing is, when we think we can't, that's when we have to put action on, say, God, but you said and see that through, and pray for wisdom, pray for provision, pray for direction. Believing you can't, or thinking you can't, isn't a sin. But you need to present that to God and say, God, what's, what's next? What, do you, what is it you want me to do with this that you've given me? Again, I want everyone to say, I'm a person of faith. Come on, I'm a person of faith. I will think big, believe big, and live big. Genesis 1.1, we looked at this a few weeks ago. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. And to come from that place and say God is the, the beginning, he is the be all and the end all. Before problems surfaced, God. Before insecurity raised its head, God. Before sickness and disease came into the world, God. Before money was invented and made things hard for you, God. Before anyone came along that could whisper in your ear, you can't, God. God is bigger, God is stronger, God is more powerful, God is able. And there are many things that will stop you, many people who will try to convince you that you can't, many things that the devil will throw before you to hold you back from achieving great things for God. But before all these things ever came along, God. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before God knew you, so it says, yeah, before you were born, God knew you. I love that verse. Before I was born, God knew me. Revelation 13.8 says that our names were written in heaven before the foundation of the world. So when Jesus and God are talking about uh, mankind sinning, Jesus paying a price, I reckon he's opened up this book and looked and gone, John Visser, Yep, I'll do it for him. Lyle Ashland, yeah, I'll do it for him. <laughs> Malcolm Guy, yep, he's worth it. I'll do it for him. I reckon God went through every name because someone had to write it in the book of life. It didn't magically appear. And he wrote your name before the foundation of the world. He knew you would mess up. He knew your limitations. He knew everything about you. And he said, you are worth it. So if you are worth it to God, is God worth it to you? Will you think big, believe big, and live big because we serve a big God? I was thinking about this the other night. In the beginning, God. Before you were born, God knew you. Before the world began, your name was written in heaven. Limitations began after creation, but God's plans are not influenced 
by limitation. Why? Because God's plans existed before limitations. He is limitless. He is not limited. We do not serve a limited God, do we? Verse 16 in Genesis 1 says, God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. In John 1.4, it says, In him was, the lo- was life and the life was the light of men. If we bring Jesus into our situation, we are bringing light. God spoke into the darkness. What did God speak when he spoke into the darkness? Did he speak darkness or did he speak light? He spoke light. So we need to speak light into our darkness rather than speaking darkness into our darkness. What is the darkness we might speak? The red circle's bigger than the blue one. The lies of the world that we hear. The light that we speak is God's word. And our prayers need to align with God's word. The words that we speak about our situation need to align with God's word. Everything we do needs to align with God's word because God's word is limitless. And if I am limited and he is limitless, my brain says I need to connect where the limitless supply is because I can't do this on my own. And yet so often we live by the rule that the red circle is bigger than the blue one. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to live by his rules. No matter how weak you think the light is that you have within you, you still need to speak that at the darkness. Who's ever lit a candle in a dark room? What do you see in the room from the candle? Not much, but you do see something. You see shadow, you see even a tiny candle in a dark room will emit light. So if you say my faith isn't strong enough, well if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and command it to be gone. The Bible tells us that very, very clearly. And you might say, but I don't have faith the size of a mustard seed. You know what the biggest miracle that can ever happen in this world is the rebirth of the human spirit. And every single one of you that have asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, you have more faith than a mustard seed. So therefore, anything you face in Christ can be done. But when you do it on your own, that's when we, trump, when we, when we stumble. So everyone say, I'm a person of faith. I will think big, believe big, and live big. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to that power that works in us, by, uh, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I want to look at a few words in this. The word work, the Greek word is energeo, where we get energy from. It's a source of supply. The word power, we looked at this last week, dunamis, dynamite. Dynamite has much more power in it than just a dull glow of a lamp. There's power in that. This one surprised me. The word able is the root word for power. The word able is the root word for power. Dynamite comes from the word able. Now, why would you put dynamite under something? If you're wanting to blow it up, obviously, why would you put a certain amount of dynamite under it? 
to make sure because it is able. The power God has is able. The power of the Holy Spirit on you is able. I'm getting a lot of nods, but not a lot of amens. And like, we, we need to be excited over this because God's word in you is more than enough. Amen? Amen. God is more than able. Acts 1.8, and we just said that, you will receive power, you will take on power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will take on dynamite power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when you do it through the Holy Spirit, who is able, you can move mountains. The power in you is working even though you can't see it. We often judge things based on what we see with our eyes. But just because I can't see it doesn't mean God isn't working. Who believes that? We sing it. One of the lines in Waymaker is, even when I can't see it, you're working. So many of the songs we sing have faith phrases in them. They come from the word of God, and we need to take these and say, God, I want this to be real to me. I want your word to be real to me. That's why music is so powerful. God can do more than you can ask or think because the Holy Spirit is a part of your life, actively working behind the scenes for your good. God wants to prosper you and not to harm you. He wants to give you a hope and a future. He says that in his word. The plans that God has, who came up with those plans? God did. The plans and purposes God has for you are good but the plans and purposes God has for you are good. So you need to surrender to God and say, God, I want to know what your plans are because I want to think big, believe big, live big. So I've got to have that starting place where I come before him. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's really setting a scene here that he knows more than we do, doesn't he? That he's more powerful than we are. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes from my mouth. It shall not return to me void but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Did God give us his word? God's word will not return to him void. It will never come back with two big red lines cancelled written across it. God's checks don't bounce. Amen. God's checks will never bounce. The question is, are you going to write the check? I'm not talking money here. I'm talking the, the promises God has given in his word. If God promises healing, are you going to write a check for healing? Are you going to say, oh, I don't know if there's enough in the account? We need to think big, believe big, and live big. God's word will not return to him void. It will accomplish what he wants, and it will prosper in the thing for which he sent it. You don't have to align yourself with the promises in God's word if you don't want them. You wouldn't be smart to live that way. 
that God's word will never return to him void. So you can take it to the bank. If God says it, it'll happen. I'm a person of faith, again. I'm a person of faith. I will think big, believe big, and live big. Thinking big requires that we dream. Believing big requires that we spend time in prayer and the word because the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. You don't get enough faith by taking one verse. When you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription of antibiotics, who's going to be healed after one tablet? You have to take the whole course. Sometimes you might have to go back for a repeat. But you do what you need to because that particular medication will fix your kind of problem. So we need to take God's word and say, God, your word will not return to your void. This is your promise and I will speak it over and over and over again. I will fill as many repeats as I need to to make sure that this comes to pass. Why? Because I know God's word is exactly what I need. And I will live that because he has proven himself over and over and over again. And that last part, living big, requires the anointing. The anointing on our life will enable us, but we have to think big, we have to start dreaming as, God, what do you want? Then we have to start believing for that, and then we have to start living that or walking that out. God, I'm not satisfied with the limited amount that I have. I know there is more in you. I know you want more from my life. And I shared this last year, God said to me that I was asking God, what is next? What else do you want me to do? Thinking he was gonna give me something incredible. He gave me something really, really powerful, even more incredible, and that was read my word. Now, he didn't send me across the world to do something amazing. He just said, read my word. And so I've started reading his word more and getting his word deeper into me because I want his word to be in here so when a need comes up and I speak, his word comes out, not my word. I want to speak his light into my darkness because his light produces light. And when you turn the lights on, darkness disappears. The light is powerful. God's word is powerful. God's word in your mouth is as powerful as God's word in God's mouth. Say it again. I'm a person of faith. I will think big, believe big, and live big. Now think about what you can do with your life. Think about what God could do through you. I was looking at Billy Graham and you look at some of the stuff that he did through his life. He was respected, loved, and valued. He went home to be with the Lord in 1918 at the age of 99, and he was still preaching at 95. Probably wouldn't have been the same power as when he was 55, but he still had God's word in him, and he still preached because he wanted to see the lost saved. He ministered and prayed with and advised Presidents Truman through to Obama. What a man of influence. He was never, uh, sorry, he met with dignitaries. See, Muhammad Ali, Queen Elizabeth, Martin Luther King, Pope John Paul II. He spoke before crowds. This is the largest crowd that he spoke, uh, spoke to. It's in South Korea. 
but he said, I don't care about the crowds. I just want to preach the word of God. And he was never in it for the crowds. He simply wanted to go where God needed him. North Korea. Can't even read all these places. Kenya, India. I think it's Guatemala. He went to places that other people don't want to go or might be scared to go. So many people are in it for the crowds. I'm not coming unless you have this many people and you pay me this much money. But he just wanted to go where God wanted him. The crowds weren't what drove him. And he spoke to whomever needed to hear the gospel. There's even a picture of him somewhere in Africa sitting on a riverbed talking to men from a village. He just wanted to go where God wanted. He was a man of faith and he lived his life to honour God with everything that he had. He's a man who had a purpose and a dedication of life. He knew, he knew where he was going. He wanted to please God more than any man I'd met. That was Ruth Bell Graham, that was his wife. And President George W. Bush said he was a man who had a purpose, a dedication in life. He knew where he was going. He wanted to please God more than any man I'd ever met. Sorry. When I, was, when I was president, I was thankful that Billy came to the White House to visit. He had no political agenda. He has an agenda from the Lord. That was President George W. Bush. This man had a hunger for the word, a hunger for the lost, and he didn't care where God took him. And this is the part that I look at. If we will think big, believe big, and live big, God will take us to do things that we would look back and go, I have no idea how I ever did that. But all he did was say, here I am, Lord, send me. His hunger for the things of God was so powerful. You know, next week we've got um, uh, Chris and Robin are going to the New Age Festival. And I know there's a number of Christians who go, I am not setting foot into that demonic place. But that's the very place where the lost are. That's the place where people need and will hear Jesus. And what's interesting is there's times that people have gone at some of these New Age festivals, they've gone to a particular place and say, I need help with this. And so often they'll say, we can't, that's outside our scope, you need to go to the Christian tent because they can deal with that stuff. Those people know that there's a greater power in God. So many people are scared to explore what God may have for them and I remember talking to a man one day and his, he was saying how messed up his life was and he went through problem after problem after problem after problem. And I talked to him about Jesus and he said, yep, I can see that God actually has the answer for me. And I said, would you like to surrender your life to God? And he says, no, I'd like to try a few more things first. <laughs> Never saw him again. I don't know what came up. But I look and I think, the amount of people that are not willing to put their trust in God because it means complete surrender. And yet, like I said last week, we've made discipleship an option. But a disciple is a disciplined one, one who will press into God. Why? Because I know God has the answers. I want to pursue God with everything within me. I want to think big, I want to believe big, and I want to live big. Why? Because that brings him glory when I do it under his anointing. Jesus went into the home of Mary and Martha 
And in Luke 10, 38 to 42, it says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. And I wonder how often we look at this and say, God, I'm right, everything else is wrong, I want you to do this. And God comes and says, oh, actually, you're thinking about this the wrong way. The person you're praying about is actually doing the right thing. Will we change when that happens? Will we say, sorry, God, I was wrong? And I look at this, and, and, and what Martha was doing wasn't wrong. Hospitality was a big thing in their culture. And Jesus turns up with 12 apostles, 13 people up for lunch, and her sister was there as well. Quite likely other people. And she's going into this mad panic and starts going, I've got to cook, I've got to cook, I need all the help I can get. Why are you sitting there, Mary? You need to get in the kitchen and help me because I'm not doing this on my own. And she was so upset that she complained to Jesus about Mary's laziness. And Jesus says to her, he doesn't say what you're doing is wrong. Did you notice that? He didn't say, you're doing the wrong thing. I guess he wanted to eat as well. But he said, you're pursuing the wrong thing. You need to be willing to sit at my feet. Mary has chosen that good part which will never be taken away from her. And if we want to live big, we want to think big, live, believe big and live big, that's not going to come out of our desires, it's going to come from sitting at Jesus' feet. And again, you look at the stuff Billy Graham did, sitting at Jesus' feet empowered him to do that and he never lost the humility, he never said it's all about me, the crowds never made him feel so good about himself. When things were so, so big and so powerful, he just, he just wanted to retreat and be with God because it's when we sit at Jesus' feet, that's when we can think big, believe big, and live big. You can think big and believe big, but you can't live big unless you're sitting at his feet. You need to sit at his feet. Stop worrying about everything you have to do. Just sit at his feet and find out what he wants you to do. It'll do you good to read that verse and it, read it in your own Bible with a pen, highlight that last phrase and put your own name there because it means a whole lot more to me when I read this and I hear Jesus saying, Adrian, Adrian, you are worried and troubled about many things but one thing is needed, just sit at my feet. We can read a verse about someone else. We can hear things about someone else. But what about when Jesus says, hey, this one's for you. God is our sure foundation. The work, if we're pursuing the work alone, that will throw hopelessness, helplessness, stress, struggles, confusion. Jesus is the only sure thing for our lives. So I want you to say this one last time. I am a person of faith. I will think big, I will believe big, and I will live big. Let's all stand.
Father God, our desire is to pursue you. We want to live our lives not based on fear, not based on the things that we see or hear in the culture around us, but we want to live our lives based on you, your word, and your direction. Father, we want to be a people of faith. And your word says, seek first the kingdom. Father, we choose to seek you. We choose to think big. We choose to believe big. And we choose to go beyond that and live big. Lord, direct our steps. Speak to us. As we read your word, as we pray, we ask that you help us to be aware when those little subtle thoughts we have are actually you. And Lord, give us the boldness to step out and start living, that we will not just pray that your kingdom come and leave all the responsibility up to you, but that we will seek first the kingdom. Lord, we surrender ourselves to you. I'm just gonna ask you if there's anybody here who says, yeah, I need to respond to this today. I've thought big, I've believed big, but I haven't actually lived big. I've never allowed God, I've not been obedient to his call on my life and stepped out into the things that he has for me. I've never stepped into the uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable. If that's you, then I just want you to raise your hand. Lord God, you are a great God. You are a, a God who has a vision, a plan, and a purpose for every single one of us. Not just us as Christians, but us who are the lost as well. And Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the times that we have not lived big for you. We ask your forgiveness for the times that we have not stepped out of our comfort zone and allowed you to orchestrate our steps. Father, we come before you again and we ask your forgiveness and we ask that you be Lord of our lives, Lord of every part of our lives. Lord, we want to be a vessel that you work through. We want to be a vessel that, that you are glorified through, that it's not about us, not about what we want, but about what you want. And as we see from Billy Graham, that he was willing to step out into the things of God. Sometimes it took him to the remote parts of the world where nobody else wanted to be. And sometimes it took him into the limelight. But as we look back, we know without a shadow of a doubt he would have stood before God and heard God say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, we are your children. We are your church. We are your people. This is your community. This is your city. This is your state. And Lord, we choose to align ourselves with you. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name.